How are you guys doing tonight? Good, good. Hey, my name is Michael, for you guys who don't know me, and uh, tonight we are starting a brand new series for the next couple weeks called Broken Saviors, and it's pretty fun because uh, we kind of came together, us and uh, a couple different churches, and we decided we're all running the exact same thing. So us, our friends at Peace Portal and our friends at CLA all came together and just said, let's just do a big old series together, and let's just work on it together and like make the whole thing happen. And uh, this is it, Broken Saviors, the whole purpose of this series being is that whatever your heart desires doesn't even come close to comparison to Jesus of Nazareth. That's the whole point. We're going through fear. We're going through wealth. We're going through status. We're going through relationships and romance, right? We're doing all of that stuff. And what we're saying is none of those things compare even close to the true king of kings. He is greater than any other thing that you could ever want. And that's the point. And that's what we want to say. So, today's going to be a bit interesting because we're going to set everything up. And because we want to set everything up on this kind of a topic, it's going to be a bit, uh, I don't know, it's going to be a bit uh, telling for the rest of us because the topic of today is going to hit every single person in the room. If you want to escape from this message, you literally probably have to escape the room because every single person is going to be affected some way, somehow, because the topic that we are going to talk about is idols, idols, us putting something ahead of God. And every single one of us deals with it, and every single one of us is affected by this thing. We might not know how, we might not see it clearly right now, but the point is that by the end of this message, you'll go, yep, that's me. Oh, that's my thing. Have a little bit of a sting, but it's okay. We're family. This is how I want to start off, okay? It's going to get real depressing really quick. So this is what I want to say. Number one, before anything, you as a human being are doing way better than you think you are. Just remember that. You're doing way better than you think you are. Number two, you are way more loved than you, than you believe. And the last one is life is less about you than you think it is. Just remember those three things as we go through all of this. You're doing way better than you think you are. You are more loved than you know. And life is less about you than you think it is. Broken saviors is if you put all of you and all of your worship and all of your trust into something that's outside of God, it's going to break on you, and that's going to hurt. So that's what we're talking about. So if you have a Bible, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, We're going to read a couple verses, and uh, it's going to be familiar for you if you've been a part of church, and if not, then uh, maybe it's the first time, and that's great. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, and it says, This This is God speaking to his bro, Moses, and Moses is going to write some awesome things down. This is what he says. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Very clear. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. 
you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner, just like an immigrant or an alien, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, your God, has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Kind of long, kind of confusing, kind of weird, uh, but it all makes sense. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, tonight, that we get a chance just to look into and peer into what it is that you want us to learn today. I pray that you would uh, awake us to a couple different things that maybe we haven't noticed about ourselves, and that through this whole process, um, we, would, uh, we would learn about ourselves and, uh, and grow from this experience. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. Just want to pray. Amen. Um, High school was a weird, interesting time uh, where you learn about yourself. You learn about yourself all the time. And you learn, yourself, uh, learn about yourself uh, a million different things. You learn, uh, you know, when you're really, really short in ninth grade, you can spurt up in 10th grade. Uh, you learn that basically your friends revolves around your class schedule, which is kind of interesting and weird. Uh, you know the best times to skip out of your classes for some of you. Shame, shame. Uh, for some of you, you know the best way or the person in your class to uh, cheat off of a test or whatever. Like, you have all these different things that you begin to learn about yourself. You begin to grow, you begin to be shaped, and you begin to realize what you do with relationships and people and how you affect them, how they affect you. So Someone doesn't text you back, you freak out. If someone makes you a promise, they don't keep it, you freak out. Or you start learning all of these different things. One of the things that I began to learn about myself in high school was that I was very attached to people very quickly. Uh, and then after I would attach to them, I would try to get rid of them as soon as possible. That's the way that I worked with relationships. I worked in this kind of a way which was like, uh, what are you going to do for me? That's how I operated, to, if I'm honest. What are you going to do for me? Now, don't look at me and then shame me going, wow, you're a horrible person. We all do the exact same thing, right? And I've said this a million times. When you get that text of like, hey, do you want to come over? And the first thing you respond back with is, well, who else is going to be there? You're basically responding back, who else is going to be there to make it worth my time? That's what you're saying, right? Okay, just me, right? So anyways, we operate in this way where it's like, okay, what use do you have for me? I used to do the same thing with girls because I was an insecure little boy. I would uh, go around a class and I would, I would see a girl and I was like, ooh, wow, look at that nose. Whatever, I don't know, like something that was just like appealing. I was like, look at those eyeballs or whatever. Those are nice eyeballs. And I'd go over to the class and I would just be like, hey, hey, baby girl, how you doing? And she'd be like, hey, um, because I obviously... Anyways, so we would have a conversation, we would talk, we would chat, we'd go back and forth or whatever. And it, it, to be honest, it almost seemed like a game on my end. It was like go crazy on Facebook Messenger, like write her poems that I found on Google. You know what I mean? Like send her these things. Oh my gosh, he's the love of my life. Like that's what they would all do. And then right when the point where it's like you're about to commit and you're about to date them, I would like stop talking to them completely and then move on. And the reason why is because for me, and a bunch of you are going, that just happened to me yesterday. Anyway, so um, 
the reason why that happened is because I found myself being so insecure. I found myself realizing that in these relationships, I was the one who wanted ultimate control. So I just wanted to know that I could make you like me. And then I could throw you away in a second. And who has the control? I do. And I learned that about myself. I was like, oh man, I'm a horrible person, right? And some of you guys are, shoot, I'm in the same boat. Or whatever. It's just something that I learned. And then it wasn't once, it wasn't twice, it wasn't three times. It kept happening over and over again. And I began to realize that all I was doing was trying to manipulate relationships and trying to manipulate all of these individuals for my sake because I wanted control. I wanted to look cool. I wanted everybody to look at me and go, oh, look at him. He's so, yeah. Like, whatever. Like, that's what I wanted from people. And maybe you're the same way. Maybe you're in the room just chasing after girls over and over and over again, not because you actually like them, but because you want an ego trip. And you know what's the worst part about that? Because that's the guys, right? I'm hitting at the guys. For the girls, it's that you let them. Because there's a sense there that not only does the guy want the ego trip, there's like this absolute desire in the bottom of your heart going like, I, I want to be loved like I see other people being loved. So I'm just going to kind of let things happen and my emotions be moved or whatever because really it's a lot deeper than we think it is. This is how life works. This is how these broken saviors work. There's two kinds of ways that they begin to operate, and it all functions around this one really funny word called happiness. When they, uh, when they went to uh, you guys, your Gen Z population or whatever, they did this massive survey, and they said, what is the most important thing about life? Gen Z, so everybody past whatever, 1997 or something and below, responded back that the most important thing about life is happiness. Happiness, which is very different from what everybody else said. Everybody else said family was awesome. They're the number one thing. They're the core of our identity. But happiness was the thing for you. Happiness makes your whole life revolve around. You go after it, and you chase after things, and you put them in front of you, and you give your whole life to them, and then they let you down, and then you wonder what happened. Happiness. This uh, old dead French guy, his name is Blaise Pascal. This is what he says about happiness. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. That's kind of dark, and it's kind of a weird way to end. But here's the thing. 13 Reasons Why, right? That show where it talks about that girl's taking her life. In the end of the whole thing, what was that girl trying to give the point as? The reason why I'm taking my own life is because I feel like that is best for me. We do this all the time. It's not so much that we are really, really bad with bad things. It's that we are very bad with good things. You know the little kids which is so funny because we give you guys candy for like four seconds and then like half the room starts snorting it. What in the world, right? You're like, uh, future druggie. Anyway, so that's a problem. But if you go to a kid, like a little kid, and you give them like a Starburst, or you give them like a Jolly Rancher, or you give them like any of those things, you begin to realize that candy is the ultimate bribery for little kids, right? And then if you go to a little kid, and it's so hard because they want it so badly, and then you like kind of keep it away from them, and then what you do 
is you put the candy right in front of them. You just give them a big box, and those kids, their eyes just wide and open. It's like, this is heaven in a box. And they go and they run and they grab all the chocolate that they can and all of the sweets and all of these things. And they just, rah, 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 right? It's like that scene in Matilda. Anyways, you probably have never seen it where that, anyways, he just eats all the cake. So anyway, so he's just eating all this stuff. And these little kid is just like grabbing all the candy, grabbing all the sweets, eating all the stuff over and over again. And then what happens in the end after this monstrous, unbelievable heaven in a box meal? I don't feel good. I feel like I'm going to poop, right? Like they do that and they like make all these weird noises and then you're like, what the heck? And then you look at a little kid and you go, that makes sense. They have no idea how to handle good things. Candy's a good thing. They have no idea how to handle it. They just, they take so much and they don't realize the effects and how much it hurts them. And the crazy thing about that very thing is I don't really think we need to, I don't really think we grow out of that. What are the two biggest reasons why people get divorced today? Sex and money. Both the things are good things that we don't know how to handle. We don't really grow out of it. We're the same way. Just keep going after the same thing over and over again, not realizing that the effects of trying to get too much of it really begins to backfire on us. The passage in Exodus is God speaking to his people who he loves and who he cares for. And he's saying, listen, the prime issue that you have is not that you're bad, is not that you're horrible, it's you have your priorities mixed up. Listen, God says to his people, I'm the number one thing. Do not put anything else before me. That's it. Do not put anything else before him. But all of us do it all the time. But we mistake certain things for the real problem. If any of you guys have a garden, one of the worst things to have in a garden is this thing called crabgrass. It is like a, it's like a demonic, crazy uh, piece of vegetation. I don't know. And uh, it grows and it looks exactly like grass, but it's not grass. And so people try to handle this type of an item with getting a, a lawnmower and they just go over top and they think, okay, well, we cut it and it's, and it's gone. But it's not. It keeps growing back, keeps growing back until you have to dig down, take out the roots, and finally the issue is solved. And that's what this is. We think the things on the surface are the big problem, and they're not. It's things way deeper. And the way that God says it is, you're putting something before me, and we got to root it out. You ready? This is where it goes downhill. Okay? We're good. We're fine. Happy. Smiles. Okay. Next one. Surface idols. These are the things on the surface. This is the crabgrass, okay? Surface idols are what you tend to be able to see. If you and I could go and we could sit down at coffee and I ask, okay, what's, what's a problem that you have? These surface idols are usually the things that are going to come out. If I said, what's your biggest source of pain right now? These are the things that are usually going to come out. These are the number of uh, surface idols that us in the room have. First, image idolatry. Life only has meaning, and I only have worth if I have a particular kind of look or body image. I think it's so funny that we're so confused about our identity all the time. But we, we're satisfied with little icons on the outside of our clothing to tell everybody who we are. We do this all the time. It's about what we look like. And if I look a certain way, that's what's going to make my life complete. 
We prioritize that over God sometimes. And the Bible doesn't say that looking good is a bad thing. It says, no, 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 your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You can, like, you, you do vegan, right? Like, whatever. Like, you do you with, the, with vegans. So you do that. Do whatever. It's fine. That's awesome. That's super great. But you know what image and body image does? It makes a really crummy God. And that's the point. If all you do is just go crazy about, oh, man, I can't believe my, my legs look this way. Or why, did, why was I born with this face? Or why, you know, you sit there on the scale and you're like, why didn't I lose those weights? And it begins to control you. Like, it makes a crummy God. That's the first one. The second one is work idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm highly productive and I can get a lot of things done. Again, the Bible is not anti-productivity, but it makes a crummy God. C, achievement idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm recognized for my accomplishments, if I'm excelling in my career. We're the kinds of people who, when we do something awesome and no one recognizing it, we get really, really upset. Why did nobody say great job? Why did nobody talk to me about that thing that I did? That's in the room. Materialism idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and very nice things. The kinds of people who we have to get the newest generation of iPhone 72 or whatever's coming out. We have to have the coolest shoes because that says so much about us than we might admit. Just having things is, is our problem. It's uh, individual person idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if this one person in my life is happy or they're happy with me. It's us looking at mom or dad or a certain friend or a sibling and saying, all I want in life is for you to just be happy with me. And it runs us. We prioritize it over God. Religion idolatry, life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm adhering to my religion's moral codes and accomplishing its activities. They are the Pharisee types, very strict, very regulated. I can't believe you did that. Murr, like those kind of individuals. And it cuts to the heart. Racial or cultural idolatry, life only has meaning and I only have worth if my race or culture is recognized as superior. Inner ring idolatry, Life only has meaning and I only have worth if a particular social group or some other group lets me in. It's that one table in the cafeteria at lunch or it's those people who sit together in that one classroom that I can't really get into or it's the people in gym class that don't really acknowledge me and all I really want to do is be a part of that group and they won't let me in. And I think about it all the time. It's priorities and it controls us. Family idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if my children or my parents are happy or are happy with me. We look at our parents and we're looking for validation and going, only if they were happy with me. I just want them to say that they're proud of me. And it controls us. Relationship idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if someone who I want to love me actually loves me. And the last one's interesting, but it's suffering idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I am hurting and in a problem because only then do I feel noble and worthy of love or am able to deal with the guilt. 
What God is saying when he brings up all of these things to you, these idols, is he's saying these make crummy gods. If you try to put all of the weight onto these things, it will not work. It won't work. But you have to, you have to counteract this. You have to understand the deepest part of your heart. You know how you make it through this life, staying in the church and following Jesus? He has to be your utmost treasure. He has to be the most beautiful thing that you have ever encountered, that you've ever seen. And the reason why we struggle so much with all of these things is because we don't take the time to want him to know him deeper, to get to really understand who he is. See, that thing right there, which is really interesting, that cross that we kind of build, if we're not constantly desiring to want to know more about that event, we begin to lose it. We back away. It becomes too familiar. And other things begin to be more important. We see this all the time, especially when you're in the church. You hear the same, oh, okay, we're going to hear another sermon on Peter walking on the water. We're going to hear another sermon about John 3.16 or Jesus feeding the 5,000s. I've heard this over and over and over again. And that kind of mentality seeps in where you go, this just doesn't matter. And what I would suggest to you is the enemy is winning if that's the kind of stuff that's going through your mind. Jesus is the most provocative, most compelling individual that has ever lived. Because if he says things like, I am the Messiah, the God to come to reveal to you that life is here in flesh, if that's true, everything has to change. That he does not come to impose into you this rules and like judge mentality, but he comes, just like we talked about last week, so he can make love run wild. That's the God we follow. That's the Christ that I know, who came and saved me when I had a ton of different issues and a ton of different problems. When I look at myself and go, I've disappointed person after person after person. I've made mistakes over and over and over again. And yet he looks at me and says, even though you prioritize everything else above me, I still want you. That's insane. But even those list of things that I've presented to you aren't really the problems. If those things that I said to you and you were like, okay, that's me, that's not really the issue. It's the crabgrass. That's what's on the surface. But what is really down below is really the issue. There are four things that are the most crucial things that you have to get rid of your life if this becomes to be your idol. And it's this. Your source idols. These four are the things that we find in ourselves all the time. Some of you are going to be like, yep, that's me, number one. Some of you are going to look at number two and go, yep, that one's me. Some of you are going to be like, oh, shoot, I'm all four. You know what I mean? And that's okay. It's okay. Because I honestly believe that Jesus can do incredible things through this. The first one is this, comfort idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have this kind of pleasure experience or a particular quality of life. The person with a comfort idol obviously is seeking comfort. They want privacy. They want a lack of stress. If anything comes up against them, they, they go, ah, this is just not how I want to feel. And then they get really stressed out and they freak out because it's not what they had planned. It's not what they had wanted. This is not the feeling that I wanted. This is the comfort idolatry. Others often feel hurt by those who worship comfort. Why? Because laziness always has collateral damage. Always. The problem emotion for those who worship comfort is boredom. These people are constantly bored. 
Boredom haunts them because they have not been designed to sit around and do nothing. But they prioritize their comfort more than anything else in life. Worshippers of comfort see other people, even those closest to them, as potential obstacles of their comfort. They just see other people as problems. And think about it. If you worship comfort, all your relationships can't go deeper than an inch. Because if you do, they might hold you back from doing what it is that you want to do. And that's just live stress-free. Because you know what's the problem with getting to know people? Getting to know people is hard work. It's hard work. And you begin to look at all the relationships you have and you go, man, I don't, if something really happened to me, I don't really know who I would go to. It's probably some evidence that you sit here. Relationships are an inch deep. If something happens, where do you go to? It's probably because you seek comfort above all things. Approval idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm loved and respected by you fill in the blank. What you seek if you worship approval is approval. You want affirmation. You want love. You want relationships. And the price that you're willing to pay is your interdependence. It's those people who you can see that they want something so badly that whatever so-and-so says they're going to do because they just want them. They don't care about what they look like. They just want them because they want to feel wanted. It's approval. And their greatest nightmare in life is rejection. To feel like somebody doesn't want them. And as soon as they get that, they turtle in. That's a problem. Others often feel smothered by you. You're asking them to be what's not humanly possible for them to be. Your problem emotion is cowardice. What you're going to feel and have to work with all the time is the fact that at times you're going to act like a coward. You don't want to confront anyone because you don't want them to reject you. What this means is the group that you're in sees you as, I know, I hate him. I don't know why he's like that. Then over here, you're going to be like, I love him. He's one of my favorite guys ever. Because you don't want to confront everyone. You want to be the chameleon. You want to say whatever anyone says that you think is going to approve of you. And then you begin to look pretty two-faced to everyone just because you don't want to do confrontation. Again, I want to just keep highlighting these things. Having approval is not a negative thing but it makes a crummy God. The desire to be loved is aff- and being affirmed is healthy and is regular and it's normal. The problem for the person with the approval idol, however, is that they are not ultimately satisfied with God's love for them and they seek love and affirmation from those whom they seem more important than God himself. C, control idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm able to get mastery over my life in the area of fill in the blank. What a control worshiper seeks is control. They want self-discipline, certainty, standards. The price they're willing to pay is loneliness and spontaneity. We cannot be spontaneous if we worship control. What's the weather going to be like? Are we prepared? I read an article once that kids on those things regularly get hurt, so let's not let little Jimmy go on the... And we're always going to be those helicopter people over everything. We freak out about the tiniest little things because all we care about is that what we say actually begins to happen. The greatest nightmare is uncertainty, not knowing what's going to happen and controls you. And you begin to talk about it in that way. Why can't you just? Why don't you just listen to me? Why is that when I say something you don't, those begin to be the things that you say. And it pushes people away because all you want to do is manipulate the people around you. It exposes you. 
We seek to control our environment and discover that we can't, and so we begin to worry. It's the number one sign of people who want to control things is anxiety. We worry about things that are out of our control, and we don't worry about things that actually matter. The last thing, which is the real problem, is power. Life only has meaning, and I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. What you seek when you worship power is power itself. We would define that as success, winning, influence. It's the price you're willing to pay to get what, is you, what you believe is your responsibility or what you believe belongs to you. This is power. I'll do it. I've got it. I will handle it. I'm the one who's going to be able to build that thing up. I'm ultimately responsible because you want the control. You want the power. The greatest nightmare of somebody who worships power is humiliation. It's not just about winning. It's just not about losing. Others around those who worship power most often feel used because the person who worships power doesn't love you or even like you. They just want something from you. The problem motion for those who worship power is anger. They get frustrated. They get aggressive when things don't go their way. And we get to see those things in every single one of us. Approval, comfort, control, power. We all fit in one of those. And I know you've come here and been like, holy freaking moly, this was a drag. And that's okay. That's fine. Why do we do this? What is the point of us even going through any of those things? This is why. I said it on the weekend plenty of times, and I'm going to say it again. The reason why I'm saying this to you now is because we love you. What I don't want you to do is figure out when you're 25 something you should have figured out when you were 15. I don't want you to have to go through a brutal circumstance in life for you to figure out what your issue is and try to change it. We're trying to help you. We're trying to care for you. We're trying to tell you, put yourself outside of you for one second. Because to be honest, that's all you think about, right? Who thinks about you more than you? No one. Who talks to yourself more than you talk to yourself? No one. Who lies to you more than you lie to you? No one. You have to have this kind of a relationship. This is what this is. For us to be able to sit here and go, listen, I honestly believe that the greatest thing on earth is the God that we follow. That he loves you beyond belief. And so for us to be putting approval or comfort or power or control above him is craziness to me. The very God who spoke things into creation, who wants a relationship with you, who wants to offer you everything he could possibly offer you. Like that is insane. That when he sees you, as a follower of Jesus, all he sees is Jesus. That the sin that you bore, the crap that you brought into the relationship, all of that is what he takes away. And what does he give you? His own love. He takes your garbage and gives you his love. That's why it's this beautiful exchange. It's the scandal of grace. It's what makes no sense to anyone outside of the church. Where they look at Jesus and go, you just want to take the garbage. You just want to take my nonsense. 
You just want to take the fact that I am so bad with being humiliated or feeling like I'm not wanted. You just want to have that? And he goes, of course. And it doesn't make sense to anyone. And that's the point. It's a scandal. It doesn't make sense. It's nonsensical that God would even want us to the extent where he's going to take all of our garbage on himself, that he who knew no sin became sin so that you, you can become the righteousness of God. So he takes the pain. Man committed sin. But in the end, God's the only one that hurts. Loves you. Loves you. And this whole thing that we just talked about, even though as serious as it was, I'm so sorry. If you brought someone new and you're like, frick, I'll buy them like a chicken nug or something. Like, I'm so sorry. But it's so important. I cannot tell you that I love you and not be firm about the things that I see as issues. And I don't say that because I think you're a problem. I say that because I know I'm a problem. I can identify myself on mostly all of those. When I don't get my way, I get really frustrated. That sometimes I'm so lazy, like I don't want to do anything. I do this all the time. That's the point of why we're here. To be the community that Christ has called us to be, to grow with one another. Right? That whole, that whole passage that iron sharpens iron is a very violent act when you think about it. Have you ever seen iron sharpening iron? There are bits, there are sparks, there are things flying off. It's a violent act in order for something to grow and be shaped. And that's what it is. What do we prioritize over God? What do we put above him? Because to be honest, whatever that thing is, is your God. And it will crush you and you will crush it. If all of your hope is in a person, I feel bad for them. Because they will never be able to bear the weight. If all of your weight is on what you can do and achieve, that you have to be the greatest athlete or the greatest musician or the greatest thing at your profession, if you just keep putting all of that weight on yourself, then Jesus is sitting there going, do not do that. You do not have to do that. It's the whole point. It's the whole point of the gospel. The whole point of the gospel is stop trying to find things that you can accomplish to gain his approval. You can't. You know how you gain his approval? By doing absolutely nothing. He sees you. He sees compassion on you. He shines favor into your life. Man, and I feel that. You have to feel that. My whole life, all of my life, all I was terrified of was rejection. Because that's all I ever felt. All I ever knew was that I couldn't get close to anyone because they were going to leave. That's all I ever felt. My dad, when I'm three years old, takes off. People dying in my life when I'm young, gone. Any guy who I thought wanted to invest in me in my life would take off after a little bit. And the story that I began to live in was, 
I'm not worth people sticking around for. That's my story. That's where I find myself in this. And then I'm sitting at a volleyball game, and these two guys come and coach my team, and they just want to hang out. They bring me to this church service, and I get a Slurpee as soon as I walk in. And you guys just start talking to me about life. And then through a bunch of different circumstances, I finally find Jesus. And then there it is. There's a beautiful passage right at the end of Matthew where he goes and he gives this, this beautiful commission. Go out into the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all that I have commanded you. And know, and behold, this is what changed me. Behold, I will be with you until the end of the age. I will be with you. No one else can give me that thing. If I put all of my weight on something, that thing is going to destroy me. If I put all of my weight into Jesus, the only thing that I get back is love. And that's true of you too. Just love you guys so much that we get to witness and see things together as a community. At the retreat, when those 10 people got baptized at 7 a.m. in the coldest ocean of life, what are we even talking about? It's amazing. That's amazing. The one awkward clap from mine. <laughs> and that's what that is. It's dying to self. It's living in Christ. It's saying, no, you are my top priority. And that's all I want for you. is to know that the troubles of life go away as soon as he is the number one thing. Not because they avoid you or because they're pushed away. It's because your perspective on those things begin to change. Yes, pain still comes. Man, he's still on the throne. Issues still happen. He's still my God. He still loves me. And he'll be with me till the end of the age. Changes everything. Where are you on the list? What do you need to work on? And when you, what do you need to give to Jesus? As I invite the band back up, for the first song, what I would like you to do is just reflect. I would just like you to reflect. If you want to stand up and find some place in the room and just think for a moment as the music's going on, do that. And then if you feel comfortable, I would say pray. Pray about your thing. Be open with a friend. Ask them to pray with you. Confess the very problem that you have. No, no, I'm so, like, I'm deep into materialism. I'm deep into wanting control or comfort or power. That's my problem. And be open. Get accountability. And then just remind yourself in every second of every day, Jesus is way better than that thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as, uh, as the passage in Exodus just reminds us, I will have no other God before me. It's a command 
I will have no other God before me. My priorities will be straight. You are my first and foremost want that all I want in life is to put you ahead of me, to keep you in the forefront of my mind all the time. And God, you are so good and you are so loving and you are so caring. I pray that we would see even just a bit of the sting of just feeling like we got outed a bit and just being honest and vulnerable and saying, okay, I'm gonna quit hiding. I'm gonna quit faking it and saying that everything is okay. God, I thank you for all these students, how awesome they are, how much we love them, and, and just being able to be here on a Tuesday night and just hanging out and worshiping you is the greatest thing. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. We just want to pray. Amen.